This program is part of the Cosmic Potato Podcast Network. For more shows like this, visit our website at cosmicpotato.com. Do you want me to record? Do you want us to record ourselves? Uh, I don't. I'm I'm going to record myself. I've dropped out a few times. I heard on the um Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. I mean, we might as well since we're all sitting in front of our computer. There's no reason not to. Let me pull my audacity up. I'm actually next to my computer, but yeah. <laughs> I'm actually um, actually I'm not in front of my computer. I'm at a 22 degree angle actually. My computer is sitting in my lap. <laughs> I don't get on a plane, I get in a plane, thank you. <laughs> So what what do we do best 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 what tonight I I'm completely lost about what we're talking about. You're asking this now. <laughs> <laughs> Each of us. He who is without game show complete at starting show <laughs> cast the first stone. <laughs> Each of us will in turn present what we feel is the best in each of the categories. We will each give our best character entrance, our best theme song or theme music, our best scene in whatever type of club, so on and so forth. Uh, yeah. Character entrance theme song? N- no, th- those are those are two different things. Character entrance is one. Uh-huh. Uh, theme music or background music is one. Or or theme, theme song. Well, what are we doing music. tonight? <laughs> those are the categories. We're going to do a couple for each category or one for each category or whatever you can come up with. And okay, you, don't, so you don't necessarily have to have a contribution for each thing. I was yeah, if you to say I, I don't have anything for that, that's fine. You know. Yeah. All right. Well, then just, just don't, well, do that every, me, don't do that for every category. <laughs> no, tell me, what, tell me what the categories are again, please. We got character entrance, theme music. No, character yeah. entrance is one. Next is theme music. Okay. And best series finale. Okay. All right. Let's go ahead and get started. We interrupt this program to annoy you and make things generally irritating. Welcome to Cosmic Potato. The Super Fan Talk Podcast. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. We've got you covered with everything from Marvel to Star Wars. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Classic films, trivia games, and beyond. Give it a coast. We get together. Have a few laughs. Now, on with the show. Keep the change, you filthy animal. Hey everybody and welcome to Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast, the show that points out that people get paid more to pretend to go into space than they actually get paid to go into space. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sean Ray and sitting across the virtual table from me is the original Iron Man, Mr. John Irons. How are you, sir? Actually, I think that goes to um, Ozzy Osbourne, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and jo- also joining us here in the virtual studio is our Floridian friend, Rick. How are you? I miss the Earth so much. I miss my wife. (laughs) I had no idea you were going to use that intro when I was going to do this intro. (laughs) So uh, I'm doing great. Thank you very much. What a cool winky dink. (laughs) And also, like plant stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And also with us is our good friend Scott. How are you, sir? I have someone's personal cell phone number in my phone. 
Oh, that I wish I could give to you guys, <laughs> but I can't. Oh, I thought you were communicating over Skype. I didn't know that you were uh, actually oh, talking. With, uh, with the the interview will be over Skype, but the um, uh, the the setup, the conversation we had to set the time and everything that was using uh, phone numbers. What I'll, I mean, I can tease it, but by the time by the time this episode comes out, the interview will have already happened, even though it won't have been released yet. But well, then you should tease it because in order of release, yeah, they'll hear this before they hear Just that. Don't right? tease it too much; it might the, too much. It might bite. This it, it will at least let people know that it's coming if they are subscribing to this show. In in the future, from now, but in the past, from when you're listening to this, <laughs> Scott is going to will have. Talked to uh, Armin Shimmerman, who played Quark on uh, Deep Space Nine, and uh, we're going to be really we we have are going to release that. <laughs> you make it way more complicated than it used to be. <laughs> as a as an episode of the show. So uh, from when the from when you're hearing this, the next episode, next week's episode, will be Scott's interview with uh, Armin Shimmerman. So uh, come and check that out at CosmicPotato.com. That noise you heard, by the way, a couple of days ago—that that faint squee on the wind—was was when it, you know, became official. Yeah, when you found out for sure. <laughs> it, th- that will be part of the because um, uh, Sean and I are going to be recording uh, some front matter and some back matter for the episode that will bookend the interview. Uh, the interview is just going to be me and Armin, but uh, Sean and I will have some discussion uh, before and after. Uh, for the episode that's released. And during that discussion, I will take the listeners through how this happened. And I still cannot believe it actually worked. <laughs> this is what I imagine Scott's side of the interview is going to sound like. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know God. that time that you did that, that thing? On, on, yeah, that was really cool. <laughs> I, I have faith in you, Scott. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be great. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I, I believe that there is a uh, possibly a fair amount riding on how will I do because if I conduct a crap interview, then chances are going to be pretty low that Armin will agree to consider putting me in touch with any other cast members. <laughs> <laughs> why, why? Because th- there are some, like, for, for example, Andrew Robinson, who played Garrick on Deep Space Nine, he is not on Twitter. So I cannot use the same method to trap him into an interview the way I did with Armin. No. I did find his email address one time, and I emailed him, and he never wrote me back. So, <laughs> Well, then you didn't find his email address. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, that's that's how I got Susie on, on the Starbase. I was just looking through. I, ju- I just Googled her and found her website and sent her an email. And, you know, her first question was, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> This is kind of like when I uh, when I had uh, Michael Jan Friedman on the Prime Direction. He was one of my favorite Star Trek authors when I was uh, a teenager, and uh, when I first connected with him, and he said he he agreed to be on the show, I told my wife Michael Jan Friedman is going to be on my podcast. You know, like a big deal. And now we're friends on Facebook, and he sends me a message. My wife was like, who's writing you? Oh, Michael sent me a message. <laughs> she said, you're so full of yourself now. <laughs> he, sent, he sent me a birthday message on Facebook. Like, he directly posted onto my wall on my birthday. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he, did, it. he cool. did it for me, too. It's pretty cool. Uh, Such a mint. We are He's going to play a new game that uh, that I came up with. 
And last time I came up with a game, I was told that it was too hard. <laughs> Hopefully this one won't be too hard. <laughs> this one is, um, I'm calling it first jobs. And the object is that I'm going to give you guys uh, three actors or actresses to pick from. And I'm going to tell you a job that one of them had before they started acting. And you tell me which one had that job. So it's pretty easy. And uh, and we're going to do it kind of the way that we do the Rotten Tomatoes game, where I'm going to let all three of you guess. And then the ones that get it right will get a point, And we'll see who has the most points at the end. I think I have ten of these here. So, All right. So the first one, this person was a door-to-door salesman, and your choices are Chris Hemsworth, Chris Pine, or Chris Pratt. Pratt. Chris Pratt. Pine. All right. The answer is Chris Pratt. So John gets a point. Rick gets what? a point. Oh, okay. Oh, he got it. He got it right. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I'm, I missed. I missed. Uh, I. I... It's late for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The second one. This person was a calligrapher. It's nine o'clock. <laughs> what? Sorry. It's nine o'clock. What time do your kids get you out of bed? Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> this person was a calligrapher. Was it Julia Louise Dreyfus, Meghan Markle, or Amy Adams? Markle. Dreyfus. Adams. It was Meghan Markle. Who is Meghan Markle, by the way? What? Who is Meghan Markle? Well, now now she's Prince Harry's wife. Oh, her. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, she, was an, she was an actress before that. Okay. This person was a guy in a chicken suit outside of a chicken restaurant. Was it Chris Rock, Amy Poehler, or Brad Pitt? Pit. I wanted to be Pit. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna I'm, say I'm gonna, Pit. I'm gonna say Chris Rock. It was Brad Pitt. Ah, Scott and Rick both get points on the board. This person was a Starbucks barista. Was it Sandra Bullock? Every actor in Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> I'm about to say all of them. Was it Sandra Bullock, uh, Melissa McCarthy, or Sarah Michelle Gellar? McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah, McCarthy. You all get a point. That is correct. The others are too old. <laughs> uh, this person was a was a bike messenger. Was it Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, or Matthew Perry? Matthew Perry. Courtney Cox. Matthew Perry. You all incorrect. It was Jennifer Aniston. Ah. <laughs> This person was this person shot armadillos on a golf course. Was Wait, it as a job? Was it yeah, it was their job. Was it Seth Green, Matthew McConaughey, or Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck. Were the choices? Matthew McConaughey. Seth Green, Matthew McConaughey, or Tom Selleck? Tom Selleck. It was McConaughey. Scott gets a point. Wow. Like, that sounds like the kind of job that they wouldn't allow anymore. So I'm, <laughs> yeah, probably not. So I'm the oldest person. That, that's why I picked Selleck, too. I was like, there's no way that's happened in the last yeah. 20 years. Do you know that – I don't know if I don't know if that show Blue Bloods is still on the air or not, but do you know that Tom Selleck – while, while Tom Selleck is a, is a, a 
award-winning actor or whatever. He is also an avocado farmer, so that's what he does in his spare, spare time is grows avocado plants and stuff. So. I can honestly um, say, no, I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering if he's going to do a, a guest appearance on the new Magnum P.I. I hope so. He has to, come on. I kind of don't want him to. I kind of, part of me wants him to, part of me doesn't. Well, I mean, because Mel, I, Mel Gibson I, I, and Danny I, I, Glover haven't shown up on uh, Lethal Weapons. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, this person was a the the girl in a banana costume. Was it Sarah Jessica Parker, Megan Fox, or Sharon Stone? Sharon Stone, just for the irony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I will say Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. It was Megan Fox. Nobody gets that point. Uh, this person was the set dresser for softcore porn. Was it Woody Harrelson, Tom Hiddleston, or John Hamm? John Hamm. John Hamm. Uh, Hiddleston. It was John Hamm. Yeah. Who the hell is John Hamm? <laughs> From Mad Men. He played on Mad Men. Uh, Don Draper. <laughs> yeah, Don Draper. Uh, okay, this person sang Tina Turner covers on a cruise ship. Was it Angela Bassett? Taraji P. Henson or Alfred Woodard? Alfred Woodard. Who was the first one? Angela Bassett. I want to go Angela Bassett. I'm going to go option number we've never heard of them. Well, I've heard of all of them. I don't know what that means. I don't know who the second one was. Taraji P. Henson? You want to go with that? Well, that's the correct answer. It was Taraji P. Henson. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right. Taraji P. Henson is uh, currently Cookie Lion on Empire. Yeah, she's she's done a bunch of stuff. And we can feel free to cut out that awkward silence where nobody laughed at my... (laughs) I can't say it was a joke. I snickered. This is a person that we've never heard of. And I'm like, what's all this wee stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite familiar with all these actresses. All right, uh, and this one's got th- this last one's got an old school person in there, but um, this is the last one. It is uh, this person was a bellhop. Was it Tom Hanks, Red Buttons, or Tom Cruise? All three. <laughs> Red Buttons. Uh, Tom Hanks. No, Tom Hanks. I'm changing my answer. Tom Hanks. Okay, Scott. What'd you say? Cruise. All right, you all get a point. All three of them were bellhops. <laughs> I said it first. <laughs> I shot I, three points. But uh, I don't know about three, but I'd, I'd be I'd be in favor of Rick getting a bonus point because he did nail it first time with everyone. Okay, I'll give him a bonus point, but that tie, that ties you and uh, you and Rick together. <laughs> so uh, Scott gets uh, six points, Rick gets six points, and John gets four points. So, and I don't have any. I don't have a tiebreaker. So there you go. <laughs> so, That's it. Right. to the death. So uh, tonight we're going to do another round of best in show. This is where we find topics that we might not have enough to make an entire show out of these topics, but they still deserve to be acknowledged because they did one specific thing very well. In the past, we've done things like the the best car chase, the best gunfight, the best unexpected swear word. And things like that. And I might throw a couple of worst in Wait, show. Wait, you did that one when I wasn't on the show? The f- 
were, did. You were on that show. <laughs> <laughs> I was? remember that. The best yeah. unexpected swear word. Yeah, that was yeah. The, last, the last time we did this. I'm, I remember you uh, used a lot of swear words when you were talking about uh, Shazam. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know the same episode you went off about. Uh... <clears throat> yeah, I, re- I remember going off about Shazam. <clears throat> talking about best unexpected swear word. Sorry. I don't remember what any of your picks were off the top of my head, but you were there, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Rick likes to drink during the show sometimes. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I plead the fifth. Uh, yeah. Actually, could I have a fifth, please? <laughs> yeah, a fifth of what? Um, I don't care. <laughs> so we're going to start with the best uh, series finale. Holy backwards, Batman. Well, uh, yeah, when, you, when y'all were naming off, before the show, when y'all were naming off uh, what the categories were, I was like, well, I didn't exactly write them in that order, but that's that's the right ones. <laughs> okay. But, um, but yeah. And, and you, should, you should have some of these locked and loaded anyway, because I'm pretty sure we've done this as a as a as all show topic at one point. We've probably discussed it a little bit, but, um, but what are some of you guys, uh, what is your favorite series finale? I'll start with Scott. What about you? Well, with all the topics that we uh, that we collected tonight, I have uh, at least two options for each one, except for this one, because <laughs> there's only one that comes to mind. Because I know that at, at least for me, I can't think of another series finale uh, that could that could top this in in what I watch, and that would be Sleeping in Light, the series finale to Babylon Five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, I didn't feel like crying tonight. Don't bring that to the show. <laughs> See, case in point. See, it's... I, <clears throat> there are a lot of shows that uh, have decent series finales. I would consider uh, Breaking Bad to have a good series finale. Uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine has a great series finale. Um <clears throat> Uh, whether it's the the two the feature length two part series finale or the full ten episode arc that they use to uh, at the the home stretch for that series to get to the end, but there's always going to be something that's lacking. Either it doesn't have the emotional heft, or uh, the the writing isn't quite there or it's going to leave certain plot elements uh, still dangling that aren't resolved. With Sleeping in Light, it somehow manages to leave the viewer with a sense that there is absolutely nowhere to go after this episode is done. I, I I would defy anyone to come up with a good, a truly good, pitch for continuing the series of Babylon 5 after that episode. The Rangers! Oh. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, they, they, they tried that, but unfortunately <laughs> they missed a part where it's supposed to be good. <laughs> they, they, did a, they did a TV movie that was meant as a, as a test pilot for a, a series about the Rangers from Babylon 5, and that is painful to watch. That's more than a slog. We we can't we can't get into that right now. <laughs> Keeping in mind the fact that Sleeping in Light, it, it there is a time jump 
we, we do go quite a bit into the future for this episode. So um, there's a lot of space between the penultimate episode and the final episode. But even with that, if you try to put story in there that takes place between the series proper and the finale, it, it's, it's not going to fit because you know where it's supposed to go and they've done everything they have to do to get you to that series finale at, at just the right speed, just the right emotional tone. Uh, every performance in that episode is great. They not only say goodbye to all the characters, they wrap up the stories. Uh, the, the people whose whose stories have not been wrapped up already are wrapped up in that episode. The main character story is wrapped up in that episode. And the location of the series, the station itself, gets a proper send-off as well. I'm going to say spoilers for the series finale of Babylon 5. Don't, 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 don't. No? Okay. No, okay. no I, oh, yeah, yeah, don't, don't, don't. Okay. Okay. Well, then everyone should everyone should go out and watch it. Because it's outstanding. Now, Rick was not kidding when he said he didn't want to cry in this episode. I guarantee I will not be able to get through any viewing of that series finale without feeling the emotion. It's going to show. My wife is going to laugh at me when we get to it. <laughs> there's, there's, it's not, it's actually not the end of that episode that gets me. It's the part where there are the holograms that gets me. Am I thinking of the right episode? Um, I'm not sure. Holograms? Yes. Where they're... I'm going to describe it because if I'm right, this is not the series finale, so it won't be too big of spoilers. Okay. They're holograms, they they are uh, recreations. Yes. They're, they're simulations. Yeah. Yes. That's the series four finale. Uh, season four finale. Okay. Um, the, the, the almost finale before. Yeah. When, was, when they thought it was going to be the finale, but they weren't sure. Right. It, well, well, here's what's interesting. The Sleepy in Light, the series finale, was filmed at the end of season four, intended to be the finale for the entire series. After they filmed it, that's when they were told, hey, TNT bought up the show. You're doing another season. So they had to put the series finale on hold, put it in a drawer, and... Straczynski had to quickly write a new episode to be the season finale. Yeah. And then they held on to the series finale and they, they just tacked it onto the end, uh, making no changes, which is why one of the main characters for the first four seasons doesn't show up in the season finale for season four is nowhere to be seen in season five until the final episode of the series, because she'd already filmed it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, Dragon Con was last weekend in Atlanta, and I didn't get to go, but they had a Babylon 5 panel there. They had a couple of actors, and mostly it was writers and stuff like that, but Walter Koenig was there. And he he referred, while he was on the Babylon 5 panel, he referred to Star Trek, but he called it that other show. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't have fond <laughs> memories of his time on Star Trek. <laughs> he thinks yeah, of uh, yeah. he thinks of Babylon Five as being, uh, even though his his, uh, his part on Babylon Five was was kind of small, right? It was only a few episodes. Am I right? Well, it was bigger you know, than most stars. I would say it's it was the equivalent of like uh, Gold Ducat. 
Okay. Yeah. So he, yeah. he wasn't on every episode, but he was certainly a significant player. Well, yeah. I, he he has more affection for that role than he does for Chekhov, that's for sure. Wow. He, he probably had more lines in any one of his Babylon 5 appearances <laughs> than he did in all of his yeah. stuff on TV. Yeah. It was He was an infinitely more intricate character. Right. Uh, on an episode-to-episode basis, his the, the role of Bester was larger. Um, but as far as how often he was there, he, I don't think he showed up more than, say, once or twice a season. So he wasn't a huge recurring uh, character. But um, as far as recurring characters on Babylon 5, he, he was... Pretty, pretty up there. By the way, did y'all know that it was Patricia Talma's birthday last week? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you did. I think I knew it last week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, Rick, what about you? What's your best series finale? Okay, we're going to go back in time a bit uh, because, I, you know, there is the obvious one I think that most of us would put on our list and decide somebody else is going to bring it up. So I'm not going to mention that one until nobody else brings it up because I think everybody else is going to, and then we'll say, we'll say something about I it. I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah, we are um, but I'm going to go back to <laughs> MASH, which really oh, yeah. was the first great season series finale. I had that on my list as well. Um, if you're not familiar with MASH, uh, which is is it's now on Netflix or Amazon? Netflix or Hulu? No, it's Hulu. Uh, That's yeah, right. Yeah, I started yeah. to watch it on Hulu, and I was like, God, commercials, bad words. I'm not watching. And it's on, <laughs> and it's on TV Land like every other hour. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, did you know? And I I, was, I started watching the first episode for the first time in like thirty years easily, and I didn't realize that uh, William Christopher wasn't in the pilot. Would Somebody else was playing Father Mulcahy. Yeah, I don't think William Christopher came along until the second or third season, if mm. I'm remembering it right. I met him once. He was a very, very sweet man. Yeah. Wonderful. Just just very, very nice person. Um, but anyway, um, you know, it, it's it, this is one of those situations where you could easily say, all right, this show is 30 years old. I'm going to spoil it, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to say that... <clears throat> Uh, at the time that MASH went off the air, it was very rare for a series to know it was going off the air ahead of time. Um, and I can't, I honestly don't remember if MASH got canceled or they just went, you know what, it's time to go. Uh, because the show ran actually longer than the Korean War did. Yeah, it was on for 11 years. <laughs> like 100 episodes, right? Or more uh, and, um, oh, I was saying, if you don't know what MASH is, MASH was a series in the 70s uh, about, based on the movie MASH, which was a Blake? Was that Blake Edwards? I think it was his uh, big fir- first big hit, wasn't it? Uh, you talking, uh, the director, the writer. Oh, or, I, I, f- I forget who wrote the movie. Um, it's based on a book, too. Hang on, let me. Yeah, uh, yeah. Keep talking off of it. Maybe. Uh, eh. Give me. Duh. It was Altman that directed it. I don't remember who. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, was it Robert Altman who directed it? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, anyway, MASH, it took place during the Korean War in a mobile army surgical hospital, hence the the name MASH. Uh, and believe it or not, it was actually a comedy set in a very horrible, uh, wartime situation. And this show was very, it, it was remarkable in its ability to straddle the line between comedy and drama and do both equally well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, 
huge credit goes to the writers, but also to the to the performers because everybody. I was watching, you know, whenever I watch an episode of Mash, I'm like, wow, all of these people are like legends. You've got, of course, Alan Alda, Loretta Swit, Gary Berghoff, McLean Stevenson, um, Wayne Rogers, Jamie uh, Farr. Jamie Jamie Farr, and then later on, uh, Henry. Oh, who played Henry? Harry. No, that. Harry David Harry Morgan. Steers was in. David Ogden. Yeah. yeah. I'm, it, I'm blanking on names. I can see their faces. Yeah. And it's it's like. You're thinking of Harry Morgan. Harry Morgan. Thank you. Um, Mike Farrell. Uh, Larry, Lin, Larry Linville. Oh, oh, Larry Linville. Of course, now a lot of them have, have, passed, have passed away, unfortunately. Um, and uh, Alan Alda was recently diagnosed with Parkinson's, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But still, so, still doing a podcast. Well, he he recently came out that he has Parkinson's. I think he's had it. He's known about it for a while. And the you know the list of big stars who had like their first or one of their earliest uh, guest stars guest starring roles on Mash is as long as as IMDb is. I mean, I'm squirreled. I'm way past the the act the the, uh, the main cast on Mash, and there's still like three quarters of my monitor are left to scroll down through. I'm not, <laughs> so I'm not going to anyway. Um, oh, wow. Loud and Rain White the third was on. Cool. Uh, but they knew they were get they knew they were shutting down and, and, uh, they, they did this episode. I actually haven't been able to rewatch it. I tried to once. Um, now I re- I still remember when it aired because I was a freshman at the University of Florida. I was 19 year or I was 18 years old and they had just changed the drinking age in Florida to 19. And a bunch of us were trying to go watch the MASH fin- series finale at and we kept getting they kept being told they could go in but I couldn't because I was only an 18. Yeah. Not not to pry but what year was it? 83. I think. 80 no 83. Okay. Um, okay. In '84, I was 20, uh, so it would have been 82. It was a bit no, it would have been 82. Anyway, um, I mean, hang on, I mean, I can tell you exactly. 83, yeah. Um, but anyhow, uh, we we ultimately found a place that we could all go in and watch it, and it was the most watched episode of television at that time. I think it still uh, is. I think. Other things have bumped it off, but not by much. Um, but it it uh, it has to do with Hawkeye having problems sleeping, and it kind of goes on from there. And when they f- when when they finally figure out what's wrong, it will tear your heart out and and crush it into little dust in front of you. But not in a way that you're that that ups, that that's bad, if that makes any sense. Um, because Alan Alda just performs it so beautifully and so heartbreakingly. Because Mash could very easily have been another like Hogan's Heroes or or something like that, where you know they took a serious subject and just made it a goofy comedy. But Mash never did that. There were certainly goofy moments and there were certainly silly moments, uh, and it was genuinely funny but it was also genuinely serious and could be really heartbreaking at times you know they never shied away from the horror of the korean war and uh 
and what these doctors had to deal with. And, uh, and it just, it, it's a brilliant, it was a brilliant show and it got a brilliant send off. And, uh, I think that any list of greatest season finales or series finales, sorry, uh, this has got to be towards the top of the list, if not at the top. Yeah. In fact, in fact, it is at the top of the list. I, this article written 11 months ago still has it at number one with 50.15 million viewers on February 28, 1983. Wow. You also have to remember that there were only four networks to watch it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, and the episode was like two and a half hours long with commercials yeah. and everything. Cause it, it, they still, they show it every year on TV land on either Memorial Day or Veterans Day, I think. So I've seen it a couple of times, but every, every character in it, a lot of sitcoms, you know, they don't give, they don't give time for every character to kind of get a wrap up. But this one did. It gave everybody a chance to wrap up what was going on with their character and everything. And then, uh, three of the characters got another show. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever watched Aftermath. That, uh, uh, oh, I tried. Was it uh, uh, well, Colonel Colonel Potter and Klinger and Father Mulcahy were working at a VA hospital in uh, stateside? Yeah, it was so, not good. Yeah. Although Trapper John and Trapper John MD wasn't bad. Yeah, that was a different guy playing it him. Uh, it wasn't uh, Wayne Rogers though. It was yeah. it was uh, Pernell Roberts playing Trapper for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, my dad, when I was uh, when I was born, my dad was in the Air Force, and he worked as an X-ray technician at a VA hospital, like that was on the on the Air Force base at uh, Fort Walton Beach in Florida. And the head surgeon of that hospital was the guy the guy that wrote the book Mash that the movie was based on wrote this book about some actual experiences that he had when he was in uh, Korea, and the guy that was the head of the hospital was the man that he based the character of Colonel Blake on. So, Oh, cool. Colonel Blake didn't really die in a helicopter <laughs> <laughs> in a helicopter crash like he did on the, on the series. But, uh, but yeah. Um, okay. John, what about you? What's your, uh, your favorite series finale? I gotta say, um, My answers are certainly deserving, uh, but I don't have the emotional tie <laughs> like I've uh, like the the, uh, the other two gentlemen expressed. Um, I also will not mention the one that we're all thinking of um, because it's it's talked about quite a bit, and and it is kind of a perfect series finale so um, and we're all talking about blues clues of course exactly yeah. yep <laughs> <laughs> blues clues blues revenge <laughs> um magenta's gone bad and only blue can take her down <laughs> uh so i will i thought um buffy the Vampire Slayer um, had an excellent series finale, and I, I'm 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 gonna say two because I'm, I'm I'll I'll be brief because um, they're the only two I've got. But uh, and and it's, and I'm and I'm putting them together 
because um, they kind of share what I would say are the the elements that make them great. Um, it, like Scott said, it, it wraps up the story of these series. It wraps up the story of that season, and it it lays down gently into a nice little velvet box all the things you care about. And it answers enough of your questions and it leaves some open in the name of good storytelling. So I'm, I'm going to say um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Avatar the Last Airbender. I think I might be... I know Rick hasn't. I know Sean hasn't. Scott, have you watched uh, Avatar? I have not. Okay. The movie was awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, can't go wrong with blue people and giant beasts. No, no, no. The M. Night Shyamalan thing. Yeah, I know Shyamalan. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um... But no, it it's so the story of uh, the last Airbender is actually really um, surprisingly dark <laughs> for it to have been on like Nickelodeon and for him to have been like I think he's twelve at the start of the series and and all four there there are four um, seasons. And they, they refer to them as books. So book one, uh, the avatar is all, is four elements combined. Uh, the, in this world, there are benders and that some control air, some do water, some do earth, and some control fire. And the avatar, once, um, the, the avatar is this being that embodies all four of these abilities. And so the series starts, the avatar is this kid. And because it's his job to maintain balance, in this case it's him, but sometimes it's her, it's his job to maintain balance. And because he kind of shirked his responsibility, um, the world went into chaos. And so he awakens a hundred years later. And so his mission is to to try to restore balance, to try to, the fire nation has taken over. And that's the overall story arc. And it's such a smartly written show. Like they lay, they, they lay seeds that grow slowly over the course of, as, as all good series do slowly over the course of the season that by the time you get to the series finale, aside from the really impressive action that's going on, there are little subtleties that are playing into all the scenes that if, if you've watched it, 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 it rewards that. And that's, that's the other thing that, that I think a good series finale should do. It should, It should be a love letter, or or at least a, a thank you letter to the fans. It should 
it should pay off. Remember that guy from that thing? That. Remember he said that thing before? Here's how it comes into play. And not just like, not like in a Seinfeld finale where, <laughs> where it was like, there's that guy saying that catchphrase. Remember him? There's that chick. Remember her? Like, no, no. It, yeah, I do. And I remember that episode, so I don't need to see them here. Yep. Everything in it works. And I wouldn't say it's a necessity for a series finale, but the other thing, another thing that these two have in common is they just straight change the world. Like, not our world, but in, in the context of the show, they're like, um, you know, why can't we do this? I think we can do this. Just because everybody said we can't do it, not they, not we the writers, we the characters in the show. Because you're like, okay, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I don't know what the solution is because they clearly are outmatched. But the solution that they come up with makes perfect sense. And it's exactly what the characters would do. And they've established no reason why they can't do it. Aside from the fact that nobody's ever thought to do it before. Am I, am, am I making sense? Yeah. Like they're, they're, it, it's a, it's, it's very, it's almost like, um, Return of the Jedi. Well, okay, well, he's either gonna have to kill his father or he's gonna have to join the dark side. Well, no, there's an option three that just nobody would believe me when I'm telling you there's an option three. And I love it when a show is surprising, but gave me all the clues so that it's not uh, a cheat. And so that yeah, those so that's why those are my two picks. And again, I strongly encourage all of you to watch Avatar: The Last Airbender. I know it's a kid show, but it's not just a kid show. And there's there's like there's four seasons, uh, three seasons. Yeah, actually, there may be three seasons. Excuse me. Um, and they're 20 or so episodes each. So really, you could binge it in a weekend. If you're so inclined. Alrighty. Um, okay, so one of my favorite series finale has to be the last episode of Cheers. Cheers okay. was... And I, I, it may be because I've been watching Cheers a lot lately on Netflix. But uh, it was a fantastic sitcom that I, I still watch it. I still laugh at almost every single joke. It's one of those rare shows where every single joke seems to land. I mean, they, they, it's very rare that they set up a joke and then tell the joke. And then I'm just like, oh, that that was not that funny. I, I usually laugh at all of them. So um, the finale is... It's hard, like I said before, it's hard to make a, 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 a episode, a, a season, a series finale where all the characters get to do something and kind of get to wrap up their character. This one did it, did it very well. They all get their send off. They even brought back Shelly Long as Diane. She'd been gone off the show for five or six years, I think. And it was on for like 11 years. And I remember they made a huge deal when the finale came out. They had a one-hour uh, special before the episode where they showed a bunch of clips and some interviews and stuff like that. 
And then <laughs> the whole cast went to the actual bar where they filmed the external shots of Cheers, which it looks nothing like that on the inside, but you know, the outside is, you know, where they set up their shots and stuff. And the whole cast went to that bar to do like a viewing. And of course there were drinks flowing and everything. Then the, the show airs and then they go to the local news, you know, and then after the local news, the entire cast had to be on Leno and they were all completely drunk. <laughs> so if you watch it on YouTube, it's hilarious. You just want, you're watching all the characters try it. Jay Leno is, is doing it via satellite from Los Angeles where, you know, he's in studio or whatever and they're back at this bar and they can't, they're not even listening to half of the questions that he's asking them and they're, you know, they're cutting up with each other. I think one of them fell down at one point. <laughs> it was, it was pretty funny, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that that finale was, uh, was pretty great. And that came on in, I want to say it was, uh, 93 and it seemed like there was a lot of shows that were ending. Yeah, I'm about to say, that sounds about right because I think that's the, like Seinfeld was like within a year or so of that. No, Seinfeld didn't go off the air until '97. Yeah, Cheers ended in '93. Yeah, because May 20th, the, same year, the same year as like I think uh, Saved by the Bell went off the same year and stuff like that. So because I remember I had a videotape that was nothing but finales and they all came on that season. <laughs> but um. I wanted to throw in a couple of uh, my worst in shows, and we'll move on because I, I didn't know we were going to talk about season finales for forty five minutes yeah. <laughs> when I put down you know five uh, topics for us to talk about. But um, uh, uh, worst series finale is definitely Seinfeld. If you if you're going to end your show with a clip show, you know that's a, that's a disservice to your fans. You know because we've seen all those episodes, we wanted to see something else. Plus, you end your show with all the main characters going to jail. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't mind that. Like the, the the last line where they make some somebody makes some joke observations. Like, yeah, I think we've said that before. It's like, yeah, and then they kind of slow. That was to me. That was like the best line in the thing. Uh, yes, you did. Thank you for acknowledging that. Yeah, all the way. Yeah, the very last scene of the the last shot of the of the episode. But yes. all the way up until that, it was nothing but they're in court, and all these characters that they've seen for all these years are coming in and testifying against them, and they're showing all these clips from episodes that we've already seen a thousand times. Because not only were were we watching the new episodes and stuff, but by that point, Seinfeld was in syndication, so we were watching all those episodes every night anyway. And then they show us clips of all yeah. those episodes, and it just, it, was, it just it just felt lazy. And the and the one uh, finale that everyone has been alluding to that nobody actually put on their list, of course, was Star Trek Enterprise, right? <laughs> <laughs> Never saw it. <laughs> no, I mean I I know we were talking about Star Trek: The Next Generation. That's uh, especially for us, you know, is probably one that would definitely be on our list we we were just all not wanting to go for the low-hanging fruit but there it is it is a fantastic episode and uh, i recommend it but when they re-aired it you know they they, they showed it as a two-hour episode originally mm-hmm. when they split it up into just two single episodes they cut a bunch of stuff out because I remember going back and watching it again and some of the scenes didn't play like they did the first time because they were, they chopped some stuff out to put extra commercials in or something, 
you know, not. But I think the version that's on Netflix is the original version. So yeah, that's yeah, it is. Well, yeah. that was the thing with with syndication. You know, uh, it it wasn't until, um, actually, some of them. It wasn't until I got the Blu-ray. There were some scenes in TOS that I'd never seen. Yeah. You know, even though I'd seen every episode hundreds of times, I'd only seen them in syndication. And when they went into syndication, they chopped out certain scenes to make room for more commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Got to sell more diapers. Yeah. More dishwashing <laughs> liquid. We'll return after these messages. Hey, you listener. Do I have everybody's attention now? Do you like professional wrestling? What? If so, you'll love Review of Mania, where Rob and Zach break down every WrestleMania. You'll hear about great epic matches by the likes of Hulk Hogan. And what's it gonna do when Hulkamania and the largest arms in the world run wild on you? Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah! Ric Flair. Just stealing! Woo! Wheeling, dealing! Limousine right! Jet flying! Bret Hart. The best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart, you are a zero, my hero. John Cena. The champ is here! Brock Lesnar. Suplex City, bitch. And so many more that I don't have time to even name. Check out Review Mania right here on CosmicPotato.com. Or on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spreaker. It's a happening right here on CosmicPotato.com. Arriba! Attention, people of Earth! There's a new podcast on the Cosmic Potato Network. You should check out. It's called Wait, You've Never Seen? I'm Shane. And I'm Virginia, and I have no idea what that was. I'm so sorry for the old-timey voice. I can't promise it won't happen again, though. So, Virginia and I will be taking turns watching movies that one of us has never seen. Because I grew up under a rock and have a lot of catching up to do. I am uncultured. So Virginia will be showing me musicals and old-timey movies. Again, we can be heard on the Cosmic Potato podcast network and on our website at waityouveneverseen.com see you then hey everybody i'm troy and i'm aj and we are the hosts of the world war g podcast along with colton but he's not here right now yes yeah, so pay no attention uh and we're a podcast about everything geek we talk about uh movies television video games comic books uh we got movie commentaries the occasional taste tests like these lovely pina colada Oreos. Just don't try the Coke ones. No. Dang, what do we say after that? <laughs> Dang it. Um, so oh, okay. I'm, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can find us right here at CosmicPotato.com or at WorldWarG.Podbean.com. Or wherever else you get your podcasting fix. And as always, stay geeky, my friends. Greetings, everybody. It's your old pal, Brother John, a.k.a. The Trick Talking Meat, and you're listening to the Cosmic Potato Super Fan Talk Podcast. Um, okay, so let's go down to uh, another topic. Let's do the best entrance of a character in a film or TV show. Uh, Scott, go back to you. 
Okay. Um, now I I have two. Are we doing uh, all of our picks at once, or are yeah. we going to like go? I say, yeah. Go ahead and do them and make yeah. okay. the abridged version. Um, I, I got I got one for television and one for movies. And as with most of my categories, I can't say it's the best, but it's what I think of first when I think of this thing. Um, so as far as a character entrance in television, um, I always always love. Uh, the entrance of Martin Sheen as President Josiah Bartlett in the first episode of The West Wing. He doesn't show up until the last, I think, five minutes of the episode. Uh, and at, playing the President of the United States in a show that is set in the White House, you expect to see him more. Uh, and he's talked about throughout the episode, but it's not until right near the end when you hear him first. Uh, as a voice off screen as he's entering the room with just one line that silences everyone in the room. And then he just proceeds to handily walk away with the scene and the entire episode because he's fantastic. Um, I, I love the West Wing. Now, Star Trek, of course, is my favorite franchise, but as far as an individual series, I think West Wing, uh, is still at the top. I'm currently in my third rewatch of 2018. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, West Wing is the show that I will bring up on Netflix on my phone and have it playing in the background while I'm doing other things. Uh, especially for the first four seasons written by Aaron Sorkin, because his dialogue is so lyrical that you don't need to look at the screen. You just listen. And it's still some of the best television you've ever seen, even when you're not seeing it. Uh, so with that being for television, move down to film. I'm sure there are going to be some character entrances that are better than this one. But every time I picture it in my mind, it's it's impressive to me uh, because of the way the shot is put together uh, visually. It, it's very striking. Uh, and with the music and the sound, it it really mixes together quite well to give you a, a great character entrance. And that would be uh, the first moment you see Wesley Snipes as Blade in the first Blade film. It's good. Yeah. Um, the, um, this, this actually doubles up with uh, if we end up doing the category of best scene in a casino nightclub or strip club, it's actually doubles up at that because the opening sequence of the first Blade film takes place in an underground rave club that, come to find out, is a club just for vampires. Because as the music hits its fever pitch and everyone's getting really excited, they got their arms raised up to the ceiling, the <laughs> sprinkler system activates and it covers everyone in the club with blood. And the vampires are just loving it. <laughs> and there's one unfortunate human guy who is stuck in that club. He starts getting pushed around, knocked around. He gets knocked to the floor. He's getting kicked a little bit. He's crawling across. He's covered in blood. The floor is covered in blood. Everyone else is covered in blood. And he sees a pair of uh, clean black boots and a black trench coat. And his eyes lift up. And then the camera shifts and the camera raises up. And you see Blade, spotless, not a drop of blood on him, standing in the middle of this group of blood-drenched vampires. So he's in his all-black outfit. It's a white room covered in blood. And they really ramp up the saturation of the color in that shot for that entire scene. So that blood is so red. Mm -hmm. And he is such a streak of 
darkness in that shot. It's visually very striking. And then, of course, he proceeds to, you know, kill all vampires. <laughs> which is also a great scene. <laughs> so, as a way to open up a film for the opening five minutes, that scene in the in the club followed by that character entrance, just looking, looking so cool. <laughs> Especially 90s cool. It's yeah. hard to think of Wesley Snipes as being that cool, having gone to jail for, you know, bad taxes. Yeah. And for listen to Pat Oswalt tell stories from the set of Blade 3, and it does kind of dampen the experience of the other Blade films. But if you take it on its own, it's a great opening sequence, great character entrance. All right. Rick, what about you? Okay. Uh... I got a, I've got a few that I thought of, but one stands out amongst all others. Uh, now, it is no secret that I'm a Star Trek fan. Um, um, in fact, I am in that minority of Star Trek fans who actually like Star Trek the motion picture. And there is one character entrance in that movie that is just, for me still to this day breathtaking and it's not Admiral Kirk it's not Mr. Spock because Kirk's entrance was pretty cool I'll, I'll admit you know seeing him in the in the, the shuttle the, the, the shuttle lands at Starfleet headquarters and you see him through the window and it pops up and there he is in his uniform and it's the first time we'd seen him uh, not in a tuxedo speak singing songs for the 15 years or so. Um, you know, the, the Mr. Spock was just stupid. <laughs> Sorry. Um, no, I'm talking about the scene that everybody thinks is too long, except me and a select few. And I think it could be 10 minutes longer. I'm talking about the entrance of the enterprise herself. That flyby. I, you know, even the music, and that kind of ties into something we probably won't have time to get to. Um, but I, you know, I have very, I have two pieces of music on my MP3 player from the motion picture: the the opening theme music, which is both TMP and TNG, um, and the Enterprise. And just <laughs> I get chills thinking about it, just talking about it. I get choked up um, because you know, Kirk gets on the shuttle, and okay, the shuttle effects not not the shuttle itself, but the effect of putting Kirk and Scotty inside. And they tr oh, blessed them. They tried to make it look good, but they just there was no parallax as the thing was turning, so it, you could tell it was just rear projected on a little screen inside the shuttle model. Yeah. But you know they were under quite a bit of pressure with that film. But uh, the the music follows the the, the shuttle, and, and they stay outside the space dock for the first you know two or three minutes, and you see the Enterprise, but she's kind of obscured by the space dock. And then as as they come around the front and the shuttle uh, comes around and just as the music goes, bah, 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 and you get the full view of the Enterprise from the front, just telling you about it, I'm getting chills. <laughs> and I remember being 12 years old, sitting in that movie theater and seeing, you know, a 30-foot wide, 20-foot tall Enterprise like we'd never seen her before. I still, you know, 
the music takes me back to that that moment which was one of the most breathtaking moments of my life and i've had i've done some really cool shit in my life <laughs> but 12 year old me i think it was 12 1979 uh, 13 um 14 no 14 okay um sitting in this movie theater experiencing something we had never even dared dream would happen and that was not only just the return of Star Trek as anything other than a Saturday morning cartoon, but as a major motion picture. And then seeing the Enterprise done so lovingly and so beautifully and filmed so gorgeously. Uh, chills. Love it. Tears. Wonderful. Beautiful. And, you know, some wanna, may want to argue it's just a prop or something. No, the Enterprise is a character in the show, especially oh, yeah. in that movie. Yeah. And uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, the rest of these things I've got are are fun. You know, Khan in Wrath of Khan. Not like we didn't know who was under all of that stuff, but it was still it was still a fun reveal. Um, I okay, I want to give an honorable mention because it's okay. This is a spoiler. If you haven't seen the Usual Suspects, hell is wrong with you. Um, <laughs> This is a spoiler, so if you want to fast-forward a couple of minutes if you haven't seen it, okay. Uh, when we realize that Verbal is Kaiser Soze, mm-hmm. that was one of the most amazing cinematic, cinematic kicks in the Grundies I've ever witnessed. Uh, and I'm done. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, John, what about you? Again... <laughs> um, we had we had a lot of topics tonight <laughs> of a uh, possible. So I, I I only I came up with a couple, and it was, it was obviously just the first couple that I thought of. Um, this one was his idea. Yeah, it's a good one. <laughs> I I stand behind the idea. I just because I failed to execute doesn't take that away. <laughs> um, but it's yeah. Again, it was just top of mind. It's probably because I saw it recently. But uh, the entrance of Thor in uh, Infinity War to the Wakanda battle. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a pretty uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's. It is awesomely kick-ass. Have you seen the fan edit where somebody changes the music? Yes, and in my head, that's all, that's that's all it plays now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I will also say, um, I, I too will go back in time to uh, to. The, uh, uh, I hope you forgive me. What we call the eighties, uh, Transformers, the movie uh, before the Transformers movies. It was an animated film. And in this film was a villain known as Unicron. Yeah. His entrance, you don't even know he's a villain yet. <laughs> uh, he, he, he comes in, he destroys everyone and everything. And there's no, there's no dialogue from him. It's just, and I, and I can't remember if people are just, what is that thing? Oh my God, it's killing us. Or if they say, Oh my God, it's Unicron. I don't think they know what it is. 
but it's just you don't realize that it's well, I mean, it's Transformers, so you might presume that it's sentient, but it's 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 just this rogue moon-looking thing that just destroys another planet and floats off. <laughs> but he actually has two entrances because later, the climax of the film, you don't know that he's a Transformer until he transforms. So uh, he gets uh, he gets a double dose of uh, holy shit, look at that thing. In one film, and 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 of course the uh, the voice acting makes it that much sweeter. Orson Welles, I think. Orson Welles, indeed. Yeah. In his final role. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So yeah, that's me. Okay. Never saw it. <laughs> oh my God, Rick! In, I in, a, in a film that Orson Welles describes. What the hell, <laughs> dude? Transformers came out when I was. Uh, just learning to like drink booze and smoke weed. I mean, uh, uh, all the better. <laughs> yeah, that's the and perfect combination. At, at the time when the Transformers cartoon came out, I remember seeing it and going, "Are you effing kidding me? This is a toy line. Why are they making it into a cartoon?" Not realizing it was it, that that was the whole point. Yeah. Um. You know, because well, you, you know what? Actually, I'm gonna. I'll, I will. That argument holds no water. For me, but I will let it go because I know that you're not into anime, and the movie is basically an anime film. Yeah, it, you know, if I had been, you know, like, okay, my wife is 13 years younger than I am, um, and she loves Transformers, so I, I was just a little too old to get into the Transformers thing. So, uh, well, and and that's what I'm saying. Like the film, uh, it, I mean, it, it's rated PG, but it's basically PG-13. It was just before I think they did PG thirteen, and they wanted to make kids come and see all their favorite characters die. <laughs> yeah, and that. But it's but it's not. I would. I mean, it's barely a kid. I really wouldn't call it a kids film. It's a kid film like Indiana Jones is a kids film. And that well, movie is the reason there was a, a GI Joe movie that came out. I think the next year <laughs> after Transformers, and see. They were supposed, Duke was supposed to die in the G.I. Joe movie, and he actually did die. I mean, they, they didn't change what was on the screen, but because so many kids were traumatized from Optimus Prime <laughs> dying in that movie, they went back and added one line of dialogue. When you see Duke's uh, dead body laying there, you hear somebody say, oh my God, he slipped into a coma. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's, it's actually two lines. Um his eyes close, his head slumps to the side, and his hand, uh, his grip loosens on his half brother's hand, and you hear you hear Scarlet's voice before her face gets on screen saying, "He's gone into a coma." And then camera comes up, she lifts up her head, tears rolling down her face. His half brother tears rolling down his face. The general tears rolling down his face. If you watch that scene with the sound off, he is dead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is no doubt. And at the very end of the movie. After the climactic battle, the home base for the for the big enemy blows up in a huge, brilliant fireball, and everyone is in the rubble, and they're standing up, dusting themselves off, and you hear the voice of Doc coming over the radio saying, General Hawk, 
Duke's come out of his coma. <laughs> and then the general turns says something to someone else, and then he turns. He's facing away from the camera, so you can't see his face. So they can add in another line saying, hey, everyone, Duke's going to be A-OK. And everyone cheers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All because... They traumatized some kids without Demis Brown dying in that movie. Now, I, you know, one one last confession before we move on. I didn't even know there was a Transformers movie before the first Michael Bay movie came out. Wow. So, oh, yeah. you know, I keep trying, man. I just keep digging. <laughs> Let's just move on. I'm not even <laughs> sure where you can see that now. Okay, so I have. I mean, it's you can. It's on. I'm sure it's on demand. It's but probably, the, yeah, you can probably the, watch it on YouTube. The, or the, the animated movie? Yeah. yeah. I've got it on DVD and on Blu-ray in the next room. I have it on VHS. You can go, go, <laughs> you can go out and buy it anywhere. The, the Blu-ray looks fantastic. I would imagine. I have it on good authority that I don't need to watch. <laughs> it's, Your authority is incorrect. <laughs> I don't think it... I think it's a great film. I don't think you would get much out of it. Exactly. Because because the a lot of it is built on you caring about these characters if and what happens. Never, to yeah, them. if you never watch the show then you're not gonna be interested. I mean like even even without it, it's it's I mean it's really cool to look at and the fight scenes are great and stuff transforms and it's 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 cool to watch but you won't have any kind of emotional tie to it. Well, it's like I wouldn't send somebody to watch the uh, Star Trek the motion picture as their first exposure to Star Trek. Yeah. That would just be a mistake. Yeah, but you do you do get to hear Leonard Nimoy uh, do voiceover as a villain. Yeah, he did that in the second Michael Bay Transformers movie too, and it put me to to sleep. Can you stop talking about the Michael Bay Transformers? This is a place. They're <laughs> the only ones that I've seen any. Of. All right, I've got three, and I'll do I'll do them quickly so that we can do at least one more topic before we close out. But um, all right, so Jessica Rabbit in Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Uh, you know, Eddie goes. Down <laughs> Nice. Eddie goes down into that nightclub because he's supposed to be tracking Roger Rabbit's wife. And we're supposed to think that she's going to be a rabbit, but we don't think that because trailers. But <laughs> she, she comes out on the stage and she does this song and dance that makes 10-year-old me feel kind of weird. And, uh, and, but that, and it was a, it was a, it was a good entrance. Did, did you got, here's a bit of trivia. Did you guys know that that movie was based on a book? Called yes. uh, "Who Censored Roger Rabbit?" Except you know what? I... Go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, in no, the, I was in the book, I... he's not a cartoon character. He's a comic strip character, and the comic strip characters run around and they and they pose and have their picture taken in certain poses so that they can be printed in the newspaper in comic strips and stuff. So, and uh, what were you going to say? Were... I was going to say I think I just learned that. And I can't remember how, but I think that trivia just made its way into my brain. Like there a was week supposed ago. to be a sequel. There was actually a sequel to the book, and they were going to make a sequel to the movie. It never happened. It was going to have Nazis in it, so it was going to be weird. But <laughs> uh, Okay, and then the next one I had on my list was uh, John, Do John Doe from Seven. Um, if you like psychological thrillers, Seven is one that you need to see. And I'm the spoiler for seven. If you haven't seen it's seven and you, and you care, you know, it's 20 something year old movie, you know, fast forward, uh, through the entire movie, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt are looking for the serial killer that kills his victims based on the seven deadly sins. And almost at the end of the movie, 
they're kind of at the end of their rope and they're running out of clues. And just then, he just comes walking into the police station and he's got blood on him. And uh, and then he leads them to his final victim, which turns out to be Brad Pitt's uh, wife, Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box. What's in the box? <laughs> uh, and then the last one on my list is the Xenomorph from Alien. Uh, oh, good choice. When John Hurt's lying on that table and the Xenomorph just kind of burst out of his chest. So. That's a, yeah, we didn't. We knew, we knew the alien was going to be there eventually. We just didn't know that that's how he was going to get there. So. You know, a- Alien was the first R-rated movie I was allowed to go see. Oh, really? And uh, you want to talk about a movie that traumatized a kid? <laughs> oh yeah, it took old. years before I. I mean, now I love the movie, but when I when I came home from that film, I was angry. I was like, I hated that movie. It was stupid. It was terrible because it because it it scared the poopy out of me. <laughs> and like for months, every stomach ache, like I've got an alien inside me. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> My uh, stepdad used to tell a story that when he was he was uh, younger, when the movie came out, he went over to a friend's house and he was uh, he watched the movie, and he didn't even realize that the movie has scared him, you know? And then he, <laughs> he left that night and he goes and gets in his car and, uh, a cat jumps on the hood of his car just as he's about to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> and he almost had a heart attack. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny about alien is that, um, you know, I, I saw it in the cinema. Um, and, uh, my, my folks let my older stepbrother take me cause you, you know, it was an R-rated film, and I think I was 14. Um, yeah, so I mean, I was 14. Um, and I realized later, much later, that I was expecting things to be a lot worse than they were as far as scary because of things that my friends at school had told me they'd heard about it, only they'd gotten it, like, all really wrong. They were, they were sort of right, but not in the way that it actually happened. As, as kids are really good at doing. So I kept waiting for these, you know, these things that I was told were going to happen, were going to happen. And so I was far more tense watching the movie than I would have been had I just gone in cold. Yeah. Yeah, that was really uninteresting. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. No, no. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's do uh, one more topic and then we'll save these other ones for the next time we do this but um let's do the best theme music scott what is the best theme music or theme song that you can think of uh i i brought this down to two once again um i have uh, one for film one one for television um uh, i'll start with the one for film and there there's really an embarrassment of riches when it comes to good film theme music, especially when you start thinking of the likes of uh, uh, James Horner, Hans Zimmer, John Williams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was tempted to put on the uh, uh, the main title theme for The Last Starfighter. Um, even some people think that I might be weird for saying this, but I really enjoy the uh, main title theme for uh, Masters of the Universe starring Dolph Lundgren. I thought the music was really good. Yeah. Um, and you know some people will go for for the easy picks, the low hanging fruit of uh, Star Wars. 
But for me, I do. I, I love John or James Horner. I wanted it to be James Horner, whatever I picked. But it's hard for me to get away from the opening title theme for Superman the movie by John Williams. Yep. That is a piece of music that most people, even if they haven't seen the movies, they're still familiar with that particular melody. And when you sit down to watch the film and the credits start up and and you get that slow build with, with the, the, the <laughs> horns are, yep, exactly, that, that little pulsing thrum building up. Yeah. And then when it really kicks into gear and you know you get horns forte boom in your face and <laughs> along with the character you, you you start to fly when you're listening to that melody that is an invigorating energizing theme it primes you for the movie it helps it helps you to be ready so if you weren't in a good mood before now you're excited just because this music has put you where you need to be to be excited for the rest of the film. Uh, so as far as movies, that's my pick. Uh, for television, again, so many options. But I I made my decision by asking myself, of all the TV shows that I've watched quite a bit, are there any that have an uh, opening title sequence or opening credits with music that I do not reflexively jump through? And skip over when I'm watching an episode. Um, even my favorite series, The West Wing, I don't always listen to the uh, the opening credits, which is a really great piece of music by um, Snuffy Walden. But one show that I will always sit through the credits just so I can hear the music again is Game of Thrones. Well, yeah. That's some great music. I don't have a whole lot in the way of television soundtracks in my music collection on my computer, but that's one of them. I it's, had the uh, 8-bit version on uh, as my ringtone for, <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had a, a better collection of, of good <clears throat> uh, 8-bit and chiptune covers, but... They're hard to find, at least for me. I don't know where to look to get good um, 8-bit um, cover songs. YouTube's of, got a of lot of them. Yeah. Recognizable. I, I should maybe start pulling them from there. Um, but when you listen to the opening theme from Game of Thrones, that it's not as uh, exciting as, as Superman, like I mentioned before. But it's so rich and it... Rather than putting you in a in an energetic place so you can enjoy what you're about to watch, it it does find a way to take you back into this fictional past, and in its own way primes you for the world that you are about to enter uh, every episode. And rich is really, I think, the best word to describe uh, that opening theme. Uh, so so many layers, um, the, the melody and the harmonies just sweep over you rather than catapulting you into what you're about to watch. They just surround you and make you glad that you have another episode to watch. Okay. Sounds good. What about you, Rick? 
All right, I didn't go with a theme song because that's that's easy. <laughs> and you're, you know, and and Scott also just kind of kind of uh, ganked my most of my list here by mentioning the things he wasn't going to mention. <laughs> so, uh, I think we can we can we can just say that you know everything John Williams did is a given and move on. Um, but uh, I, I this. Music, yeah. Okay, that's enough before we get in trouble. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, the Star Trek, and you know, here we go back to Star Trek again. Sue me. Uh, <laughs> um, the 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 fight music from Star Trek has become almost a, a, a it's become an inside joke. Going even even to the Simpsons, one of the greatest Simpsons episodes ever, where when uh, Barney and and uh, uh, Homer were competing to become the first civilian in space, and they actually had a, a f- they were fighting on the on the Triskelion game board uh, <laughs> with that music playing. Oh yeah, they did um, it in a uh, uh, Cable Guy. You remember in Cable Guy, they, uh, Matthew Broderick and Jim Carrey had a fight at Medieval Times, <laughs> and Jim Carrey started going doing that. <laughs> Jim Carrey music movies. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was back song. when the that was back when Jim Carrey was still making good movies. <laughs> yeah. <You> say so. <laughs> don't hate. Don't hate. <laughs> don't be a uh, Don't get me started on him. <laughs> good movies are subjective. Be nice. Indeed. Moving on. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, you know it. And the thing, the, the funny thing is, of all of the music cues that Star Trek recycled through the entire run of TOS, that one was only ever used in a mock time, and yet it's it's probably the most easily recognizable bit of Star Trek music other than the opening theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and who wrote it? I should I should know this. Um. Um, does it say? Eh, I don't know. Maybe it was Alexander Courage. I don't know. Probably not. Um, but you know, it is it is instantly notice uh, recognizable. Uh, it set the the. It, it was otherworldly enough, yet familiar enough to kind of be a perfect counterpoint to this battle between Kirk and Spock on Vulcan. Uh, and I, I just I love it. I think it worked so beautifully for for the uh, the 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 episode. Um, if I had to give an honorable mention, uh, I have to say the uh, the the music from the final battle of Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. If you must, um, that is the second most played musical bit from Star Wars on my on my MP3 player. Uh, actually, no. It's probably the most most played one uh, because when you're listening to that music, uh, whoever put the Star Wars soundtrack together, uh, they did it beautifully. Because you can listen to that. You know, I've had that. I've had that. I had that double album from. I got it for Christmas in 1979. So I've had it my almost my entire life. I know every note of that music intimately. And so listening to that, the, to the final battle, you can see 
the entire battle in your mind as the music's playing, and it's it's just perfect. I you know Williams was at his peak when he did A New Hope, um, and the you know every beat is perfect, and uh, uh, I just I just love those those two bits of music right there. Not the main themes, probably not you know, and oh, and the, in uh, in um, not the in the Force Awakens when uh, when Ray and Finn get in the Falcon and they're being chased on on Jakku and they dive down into that that underneath the or, or they're going through the, the the shattered Star Destroyer. Yeah, mm-hmm. they actually played some of that music. And at that point, I, I like started giggling, and I turned to my wife and said, "Did you hear that music?" And she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> like that's just so <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> All right. John, what about you? All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, since we're all doing John Williams, uh, I'll throw in my uh, Duel of the Fates, um, which is... Heresy! Probably the best thing in that film. Whatever. All that right. that music is amazing. <laughs> the music is great. Yes. And it, and it fits perfectly with the scene. I also had the Star Trek fight music. Um... I will say from TV, this isn't so much the music on its own, but the music in the context with the, with the imagery, the, um, the opening credits to uh, Dexter. It's yeah. Nice. Dark horse. That's, that's a, that's a deep cut pick. I like that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it seems pleasant enough. And what he's doing is innocent enough, but in the full context of the show, it's, it's perfectly filmed to 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 get you ready for the show you're about to watch, I should say. And uh, my last pick is the uh, the music to Super Mario Brothers. And there's enough variety in it from the various levels, and it's it's just it's catchy as hell. I was really hoping you were going to sing the lyrics from the the Super Show. Uh huh. <laughs> um, back and forth, I'm, inside to something. Like I'm drunk enough for that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, I, I've I've heard it like orchestrally, it still works. I've heard it like as like a jazz version, it still works. I think I've heard it on like somebody's like playing it on the xylophone. It works. It's it's a it's a really good composition. And it's and it's wonderfully fun. I've heard it played on a theremin. <laughs> Still works. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's my fix. Okay, um, I've got to throw in the opening credits to The Sopranos because yeah. I think that, that that song and those visuals perfectly set up the tone of the show. And, uh, you're seeing that, uh, I mean, the whole opening credits is you're seeing Tony get in his car and he's driving from New York City back into New Jersey. And you see a lot of, uh, scenery set around New Jersey. So you're getting the, the setting that this, yeah, this is a mafia show or whatever, but we're taking you out of New York because Godfather and all that was in New York. This is a New Jersey show and most of the show takes place in New Jersey. So we're setting that up. And that song was great. It was, uh, the name of the song, I don't know. I always call it Got Myself a Gun. I don't know if that's the title of the song or not, but, um. Might as well be. Yeah. 
the the whole idea of that was they were supposed to have the same opening every show, but the song was supposed to change. And then when they clicked it together with that song for the first episode, they were just like, no, this is perfect. Just leave it like this. <laughs> you know? So it stayed that way through the entire series. Um, and then... I said cheers on the last, on the series finale. So I'm not going to say the cheers theme, even though the cheers theme is great. Um, but I will cheat and I'll say, uh, Frasier because I knew that's where you were going. Yeah. <laughs> but because the theme song, they didn't play it at the beginning like they normally do. They played it at the end. At the beginning, you just hear a few bars of music and then they just go into the show. But, um, but at the end of it, you hear Kelsey Grammer belting out this blues song called Toss Salads and Scrambled Eggs. And it's an earworm. If you hear it a couple of times, you'll, you'll be singing it all day. Um, and here's a side piece of trivia. Did you know that the guy that sang the theme to Cheers is the same guy that sang the theme to uh, Punky Brewster? No. No. <laughs> and we don't care. Why do you know that? <laughs> <laughs> because I was, uh, I was uh, watching Cheers the other day, and I just happened to start looking stuff up on Wikipedia, and the music was one of them. So there you go. Not uh, something I knew beforehand, but now that you mention it, I play those two songs in my head, and sure enough, yeah. Yeah, same guy. <laughs> it's unmistakable. It's the same guy. And, and to back up for a second um, to your Sopranos pick, that was Woke Up This Morning by Alabama 3. Okay. I knew Alabama worked in there somewhere. I was trying to remember because I'm going to uh, – this just came to my mind as we were talking. I didn't even have it on my list. But I, for some reason, I was saying Alabama works into that somehow, and now I know. It's the – Name of the band was Alabama. Um, a British band of all things. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, I've got to throw in the theme music to the Next Generation Star Trek: The Next Generation because it's probably the most recognizable for me and attached to my life the most. Uh, I used to have the CD that was the soundtrack to the Best of Both Worlds, and that first track is the theme song, and I probably wore it out. And um, it was originally. The, the theme music to Star Trek V. So it was the only good thing that came out of Star Trek V. <laughs> but, um, and then I wrote down my, the worst theme music. I, I hate the theme music to Red Dwarf. I love that show. Why? I don't like, I mean, I don't like, I didn't mind it the first couple of seasons when they would just, it was just at the, at the end. Uh, but then when they started, when they did that instrumental version and they turned it into the main theme for the opening and everything, I didn't like that. I still watch the show. I love the show. It's just that music is on my nerves. <laughs> I, I just love the, the total non sequitur of it. Yeah. See, that part I didn't mind. Like I said, that when they just used it during the closing credits and everything, that was fine. But then when they turned it into an instrumental and kind of a rock version or whatever and used it as the main theme for the show, I didn't like that anymore. They were trying to. <laughs> They were trying to speed up the tempo of the uh, opening. Because that opening in the first couple of seasons was pretty slow. It was just Lister yeah. out painting the ship. <laughs> yeah. Know? Well, I mean, it was it was no, uh, you know, it's been a long road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, true. Faith of the heart. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, uh, the, the theme from Enterprise was... I mean, yeah, the, the theme from the next generation was recycled from another, from another Star Trek property, but that song was recycled from Patch Adams. The first time you ever hear the song from Enterprise, Rod Stewart sang it in Patch Adams. 
and it's the same song. And then they used it as the theme to a Star Trek show. Like when I'm watching Patch Adams, I'm like, hey, you know what? That music would sound great at the beginning of a Star Trek show. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's all I've got. <laughs> you sure know how to end on a high note. For an hour and a half now. <laughs> and I'm out of beer, so I think we're done. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, uh, Scott, thank you for being here. It's always a pleasure. I know for for me at least, I can't speak for the <laughs> listeners. <laughs> you have anything you want to pitch, plug, promote? Uh, well, aside Trade from <laughs> yeah, still from Captain Game Show. Uh, aside from uh, telling listeners to uh, stay tuned for that uh, Armin Shimmerman interview coming soon, um, uh, you can also uh, go check me out on Twitter uh, for my personal Twitter account. It's at Fleet Admiral UFP standing for United Federation of Planets. That's where I'm going to talk about geek stuff and uh, you know, just anything fun that strikes my fancy. Uh, or you can visit at Planet Rise. That is my professional Twitter account uh, for uh, graphic art, uh, custom-made avatars, posters, um, uh, website, backgrounds, and wallpapers, uh, you name it. If you need some artwork done, Come check out at Planet Rise on Twitter or my website, www.planetrisecreative.com. All righty. Rick? Uh, yeah, Scott's pretty good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, SimplySyndicated.com. I'm still all over the place for a little while longer. Uh, I'm not sure when this show will come out, but... Uh, this weekend. Change- Oh, then, yeah, nothing's changed yet. <laughs> uh, changes are a coming. All right. And, John, as always? Uh, yeah, I'm here. And uh, I'm on that other show with you. And on that other show with you. And I'm on Captain Game Show. Captain Game Show. Well, you don't have to do that every time. <laughs> I do. <laughs> That's your choice. That's fine. All right. And uh, everybody, be sure to check out our website at CosmicPotato.com. We've got a lot of shows that you'll probably enjoy, such as Captain Game Show, uh, Review of Mania, where Rob and Zach are watching and reviewing every WrestleMania of all time, uh, Wait You've Never Seen with Virginia and Shane, uh, Trial by Pilot, um, and there's a there's a show that I'm doing with, with my daughter called uh, Horns and Heroes. This really just basically an excuse for me to tease my daughter and <laughs> and chat with her because I think she's pretty funny sometimes. But uh, the best part of Horns and Heroes is you can actually hear the eyes rolling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if, I, if I were to write the description, it would be um, Dad torments teenage daughter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the the whole idea is that I'm a geek. And I watch sci-fi stuff, and she doesn't really watch that kind of stuff other than Harry Potter. She loves Harry Potter. And um, and she's in the high school band. That's, her life is band. I mean, she, all, she eats, drinks, sleeps, band. And, um, and so in the podcast, I talk to her about geeky stuff, and she talks to me about band stuff. And we taste test stuff, and, and we play games and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'll talk to her about a movie or something, and she's... Whatever. Can I go to my room now? <laughs> so, but 
Alright, be sure to join us next time on Cosmic Potato, the super fan talk podcast when you might hear John say... So, I recently uh, rediscovered, I actually made a list of all the Might Hear John says of, uh, like from, from the beginning. I stopped around uh, episode 75, but one of the ones I came across was something that was meant to be recurring, so I shall recur it here. Uh, Two-minute theater. <clears throat> I did the uh, I did the Princess Bride last time, the uh, wine in front of you debate. So uh, this time I will be doing um, something else. You should get your get your um, Mario coins ready. <clears throat> <laughs> a B C. All A always B. B, C, closing. Always be closing. Always be closing. A, I, D, A. Attention, interest, decision, action. Attention. Do I have your attention, interest? Are you interested? I know you, I know you're out because it's f***ing walk. You close, you hit the bricks. Decision, you have made your decision for Christ. And action. A, I, D, A. Get out of there. You get the prospects coming in. You get, they think they're coming in out of the rain. God doesn't do a lot of ones in a while. <laughs> Sitting out there, want to give you money? Are you gonna take it? Are you gonna man up and take what's the bomb, pal? You, Moss, see this watch? See this watch? This watch costs me more than your car. I made $970,000 last year. How much you make? See, pal, that's who I am. You're nothing. Nice guy? I don't give a shit. Good father, you go home and play with the kids. You want to work here? Close. You think this is abuse? You think this is abuse? You sucker, you can't take this. How can you take abuse? You can't get on set. If you don't like it, you leave. You can go out there tonight with the materials you got to make your yourself $50,000 tonight, two hours. Can you? Can you? Go and do likewise. AIDA. Get mad, you sons of bitches. Get mad. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls and to sell real estate. Go out and do likewise, chance. Money's out there. You pick it up, it's yours. You don't have no sympathy for you. You want to go out and sit on the sits tonight and close? Close. It's yours. If you're not going to be, you're surrounded shining my shoes. Bunch of losers sitting around in the bar. Oh, yeah, it used to be a sale. It's Tuck Mackett. There was a new lease. These are Glenglary leases. And then to you, they're gold. You don't get them because to give them to you is just throwing them away. They're for clothes. I wish, I'd wish you good luck, but you wouldn't know what to do with it if you got it. And to answer your question, pal, why am I here? I came here because Mission Murray asked me to. They asked me for a favor. I said, the real favor, follow my advice, and follow your fing ass because a loser is a loser. Be sure you like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. You can contact us by email at mail at cosmicpotato.com or send us a voicemail or text message to 205-642-8380. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes. Thank you for joining us for Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast. You know... <laughs> Up until about uh, two minutes ago, I was just thinking to myself, you know, we haven't had, we haven't had any dropped calls. I'm not going to have to edit this episode at all. <laughs> then you weren't paying attention because we cussed a lot. I, I said some bad words at the beginning, as I recall. Okay. Yep. All right. <laughs> what, what was that from? I'll plead the speech. Glenn Glary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, Glenn, oh, okay. Glenn, Glenn Ross. I'll, 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 I'll edit the speech. I'll send it to you. No, that's cool. I mean, I don't want... Yeah. No, it'll be fun for me. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's the Alec Baldwin speech from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, well, it's it's half of the speech. Yeah. I, 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 I actually, in part, censored it by not doing the whole speech. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just did the last half. All right. Oddly, oddly enough, not part of the original stage show. Nice trivia. Oh, yeah. Nice. It's just like uh, You're the One That I Want isn't really from Greece. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this has been possibly the most tidbit filled <laughs> episode that we've done in quite some time. 
Tidbits had, and obscenities. And I left I left out quite a few. <laughs> uh, I'm going to make a request right now that we call this episode Tidbits and Obscenities. Yeah, that might be the title of the show. I just, <laughs> tidbits, I'm writing it down. Tidbits and Obscenities. Yeah. That feels right. <laughs> um. So, Scott, yeah. when, you, when you talk to Armin, mm-hmm. if, if, if I had been on the show, which... Uh, I was not expecting to be, so don't take this as in any way disappointment. Uh, I'm certainly totally understand why he was like, no, one person. <laughs> um, I would have asked him. Now, uh, the, the the real question I would want to ask him is, did he have any any hand in the writing of Quark because of, of how he pretty much single-handedly handedly redeemed the Ferengi um, as as a race yeah um, but i would have i would have done a setup where it was like you know so i know you're you know as an actor you've got to do a lot of preparing and and you know create a backstory even if nobody ever hears it and and you know so you know in your mind what what the character is about and just about you know any you know if you were to do an improv you'd be able to to answer him in any any uh you know situation the character would be in. So what I really want to know is how did you prepare to be the gift box in Haven? (laughs) (laughs) I, I can put that question out there, (laughs) but just be aware. That's how I'm introducing him. (laughs) (laughs) Good enough. Or hey, with me, I, as his uh, his uh, walk on uh, guest role on Seinfeld. <laughs> no, um, I, because I don't like Seinfeld, I'm not going to do that. It's <laughs> it's going to be we have a very special guest. This is a Cosmic Tale exclusive interview with a a a giant to many uh, science fiction fans. Uh, you most likely know him from his crowd pleasing role as Talking Jewelry Box. <laughs> season one episode of Next Generation Haven. That that's some of that's you might perfect. also some of you might also remember him from his seven year long uh, main cast stint as Ferengi bartender Quart. So it, it's going to be something like that. But I'm going I'm leading off with talking jewelry box, then, and then then I am satisfied. <laughs> is it is it um are are you asking um. Is it, will it be Star Trek centric, or is it like will you talk about um, SG One at all? It, it, it's only going to be Star Trek centric because that's where most of the questions are coming from. Because there's so much to work with. I do have the question of uh, comparing fandoms between Buffy and Star Trek, and you are getting uh, credited for that one on the air. Who are I? Are? You are, yeah. Did I mention that? Okay, cool. I wouldn't have thought of it on my own. That sounds like something I would say. <laughs> I, I did. Oh. If I, I, I had another question that I didn't write it down. If I, if, if I, if I think of it again, I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you and you can do with it what you will. You, you've um, got 36 hours. I'd got like it. to, I mean, if just, I don't know how much time he's planning on giving you. Uh, um, Thirty minutes minimum, uh, with room to expand if things are going well. Okay, uh, I would like to hear his thoughts on the current state of Star Trek. If he still, if he even still watches Star Trek, if he 
wants to say anything about Discovery, about the new films, you know, I'd like to hear. I'd like to hear his thoughts on some of that too. Are you planning to talk to him about what we left behind? Um, about the documentary? Yeah. Um, I didn't have any specific questions for it. I was going to mention uh, being being excited for it, um, and and really looking forward to seeing it. Uh, but I didn't have any questions built around it. Okay, that that's you know I, I just was curious. I mean, the the thing is probably what you will find. You know what I found with just about every uh, celebrity interview I've done is a lot of them you you'll it, it's better to have more con- more material than less as mm-hmm. far as what you want to ask them. Yeah. But a lot of times it's going to be like you hit play and they start talking, and then like half an hour later you're like, um. Okay, we're out of time. <laughs> you know? um, well, yeah, because they do that. I mean, they they do panels yeah. and stuff at conventions, and they're used to. They probably got four or five stories lined up, ready to ready to fire off whenever they whenever they need oh, to. So. Um, you absolutely must ask him um, what is his favorite way to prepare potatoes. <laughs> ah, yeah. Good call. Good try, call. Yeah, we try I to mean, you, whenever we talk to a celebrity. Yeah. Of course, I haven't had a celebrity on in a while, but <laughs> you had two. You had Michael Jan Friedman and and the the chick from. Well, yeah. I mean, in Thank a while. You. I have, yeah. That was that was that was a while ago. Well, that was for the uh, Prime Direction. Cosmic mm. Tato hasn't really. Had even it. so, you should still still Cosmic Tato Network. You should. <laughs> yeah. Even if, even if you don't play it on the show, just get them on tape. <laughs> I, am, I am going. I'm supposed to record next week. I don't know if you call him a celebrity. There's a there's a a comedian that does a podcast that uh, he lives in California. That um, podcasters are wankers. Yeah. Well, he was on he was on Last Comic Standing. He was on an episode of Wipeout, and uh, but he has a podcast and. Uh, but it's one of those podcasts that they don't, they don't really have a subject. They just it's just three guys that just talk for an hour about random things. But uh, he's going to be on the Prime Direction next week. So. What's his I, name? His name is Tim Bab. B a b b. My friend uh, Chris um, was actually a finalist on uh, Last Comic Standing. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, he. Um, his wife is uh, the manager of the DC Improv, and he, he he works there as well. And I've been he he has agreed to be on like when I first started Captain Game Show, I was like, hey, so and and he hosts a trivia night, so he he'd actually be perfect. It, it's how I know Jared, um, who is a comedian, as you know. Um, so he tells us. You might have mentioned it. Um, Yeah, I just our schedule. I just never. I I actually, I I haven't asked him in a while. I should just kind of see where he is with it. I mean, he's totally willing to do it. It's just he's just busy. That was one of two reality shows I ever enjoyed: Last Comic Standing and the first season of The Great Race. No, what was it? It was on Animal Planet. They were looking for. Oh shit! What was it called? Um, you say it was on another planet? No, Animal, Animal Planet. planet. Oh, <laughs> they, they had a bunch of, of best reality show ever. It, it was a bunch of wildlife experts who were competing to get their own show on on Animal Planet, oh. and 
oh, that dude that was like, not Steve Irwin, the, the guy who was like the nice version of Steve Irwin on Animal Planet. And I can't remember his name now. It's been so many years. Jeff Corwin? Yes, Jeff Corwin was the yeah. host. Oh, okay. And it was, and my wife and I loved it because these were all like really smart, educated people. And they all had to, had to, you know, they had to know shit about animals. And it, it was just a lot of fun. And then the second season, it was, we brought in a bunch of couples who don't know shit about animals, and they're going to be competing. And we're like, fine, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a finalist from uh, a season of Last Comic Standing on the first podcast that I ever produced. Um, can't remember what episode it was, but uh, I was able to talk. I, she might have won. I can't even remember for sure. Um, but I... I reached out through email after listening to her podcast. And I convinced her to come on my show. Uh, don't anyone ever go listen to that one. <laughs> <laughs> Did it go as well as my Marina Bakaran interview? <laughs> you know, I still haven't heard your Marina Bakaran interview. Yeah, you, you, you reference it a lot. I heard it when it, when it happened. I don't remember it being bad. But <laughs> You know, it may be just one of those what things should, that I, I thought it went badly, and you know, if you weren't inside my head, it didn't sound bad. But I can't, I can't re-listen to it to find out. What show was it? It was Starbase. Okay. Um, I don't even. I, I don't think it's that. actually. You know what? It may not even be out there anymore. It might have been before we moved to SoundCloud and everything. Everything that was on. I mean, I have it. If you want to hear it, I'll find it and send it to you. Um, I do want to hear it. All right, I'll I'll dig it out. It, I mean, I'll, I'll look on the internet first before I trouble you. But I, no, it's it's definitely not there because um, I went onto the the simply I scrubbed it from the internet. Huh? <laughs> I deleted it from the internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. If it's out there, I'd be interested to know where. <laughs> there are some shows out there that I've lost that I'd love to find again. Um, you, you tried to remove the internet just to ensure that it was no longer available, <laughs> but you failed. I, I, I typed in the internet and then hit Control-Alt-Delete. So. <laughs> <laughs> he right-clicked on it and clicked Format Disk. <laughs> <laughs> he turned the um, internet off and turned it back on again. Yeah. <laughs> 